grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody out there in radio and paranormal land. My name is Charlotte. I am going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong, excuse me, up and down the state, which means we can get to you if you have a paranormal need. And it doesn't matter what it is. I got a call from Willits a couple months ago to go up and take a look at a strange creature that somebody claimed was... Uh, bothering their chickens, you know, so we're trying to arrange that with some of our investigators. I have two investigators that will go up there and do that. In fact, I even have some trail cams. It's kind of linked into tonight's guest, right? For those of you that don't know about me, and a lot of you do, is that when I was a kid, I was like the biggest Bigfoot person in the world. I knew everything. I remember I must have been about, probably about maybe nine or ten when my father took us up to Mount, uh, on, the, on the road, the scenic thing to Mount Rainier, and we went all the way up, and the visitor center, and I got at that time the big blue Bigfoot casebook, and I memorized everything in that book, every story. Plus, I had a couple others that I memorized, you know, books. So I had it all up here because I was really good at memorizing books. And then when we moved up to Montague, California, we were within about 25 miles of Happy Camp. So my dad, you know, when we were up there for the summers, my dad would take me up there and I could talk to the Bigfoot investigators. And I actually went out a couple of times with the Bigfoot investigators. Had a blast. Absolute blast. Which brings me also to a movie. My dad, you know, there were no holes barred movie-wise when I was growing up. And my dad, I must have been maybe about five, six, seven years old. And I went to see this movie called The Legend of the Boggy Monster. Of the boggy monster and i remember going and that's the first introduction to bigfoot uh-oh there i go down to where mario goes let's hope it holds up um that was the first introduction to bigfoot that i had as a kid watching that movie and the scene that in particular that i remember is the gentleman sitting and i don't know if he was on the toilet or whether he was just sitting on a chair somewhere and this hairy arm going through this window of this house and trying to grab him that's one of the scenes i remember Anyway, I'm real excited to have Lyle on because he does have a book about the boggy creature. And he calls it something else, but I call it the boggy creature because that's what I called it when I was a kid. But anyway, if you are watching from Facebook and you like what you see, please be sure to hit the like button. And if you haven't done so already, follow. You can follow us on the California Haunts uh, Paranormal Radio page. You can follow on my personal page. You can follow on the California Haunts Ghostly Events page. If you're watching from YouTube, let me zoom on in here. There we go. There's that ghost right there at the bottom right-hand corner. Click on that, and that will open up the subscribe button. And we have more than 480 videos over there. In fact, we're going to have a celebration where we hit number 500. But we've got more than 480 videos sitting over there of all kinds of topics. I'm a journalist. I like to vary the shows, so it's not always about scary monsters and paranormal. You know, we, we talk about spousal abuse and things like that. So... Check it out, and I'm sure you'll find a video that you like. Uh, for anybody that's coming over here from TikTok, welcome. Uh, and uh, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe if you haven't already on my YouTube page. Okay, so without further ado, I'm going to bring my guest on and let him tell you about himself. 
and uh, I'm real excited, and I can't wait. It's going to be a great night of talking Bigfoot. Here we go. Good evening. Good evening. How are you? I'm pretty good. Tell me about you, sir. Well, like yourself, uh, when I was a kid, I was very much into Bigfoot and really everything paranormal, you know, uh, whatever it was, uh, ghosts or UFOs, anything, I was always into it. And uh, I was born in Fort Worth, Texas and have always lived in Texas. And my father was a hunter. So we were often in the woods. So woods was my kind of thing. And then, of course, uh, you know, once I discovered uh, tales of Bigfoot, Yeti, things like that, you know, these were like, I was into movie monsters, but this was like, wow, this is like, seems like a monster that you might see in real life. And like yourself, when I was really young, I saw the movie, The Legend of Boggy Creek, which came out in 1972 and ran for many years in the 70s, uh, you know, drive-ins and theaters and even on TV. So at some point I saw that and that really did it for me because um, the location of that is in Southwest Arkansas. And it was only about three hours from where I lived in Texas. And so that was kind of like, well, there's, you know, there's the Bigfoot of the Pacific Northwest, but then this is like a Southern Bigfoot. It would seem angry and dangerous. And like you talked about that scene where the guy was, was on the toilet and, you know, it reached its hand in there. Everybody remembers that scene. And in fact, I've got, I got to know that very actor years later. Um, but long story short, um, Later in life, I, I decided to kind of look into these things as an adult, and uh, I've been a musician and a writer for many years, and I thought, well, I want to write a book, and what is my favorite subject? I was like, The Legend of Boggy Creek. You know, what is the true story behind all the stuff that were, was in this big 1970s movie? You know, what were the history of the sightings of this Bigfoot-like creature? So that book, I wrote that book. It was It's called The Beast of Boggy Creek, and it came out in 2012. And ever since then, uh, I've just sort of been launched into this sort of uh, cryptid hunting, uh, book writing uh, pursuit. And I've written about other creatures, but really the Boggy Creek case is sort of my home base and my number one thing. When we talk about that creature, I mean, are, are there still people seeing it? Yes, there, there are actually a lot of sightings, and I think for many who just sort of have a cursory knowledge of, of Bigfoot lore, you know, you kind of think, oh, yeah, well, that was a big case in the 70s. But actually, um, you know, it, there has been sightings all along, and, you know, the newspapers would carry those early on, and then they sort of stopped, and then some of it became the Internet. And then when I started doing research, you know, I went up there and talked to people near this small town of Falk, Arkansas, where it is. And, you know, there was people that had sightings and stories that it just had never been made public. Um, and then now it's at a point where if somebody has a sighting, it pretty much comes to me and I can interview them or investigate it personally. But, uh, yeah, there, there's still some very compelling sightings. In fact, some that are what I believe are more compelling than even the ones that sort of launched the whole movie. Uh, so it's ongoing. Now, with that movie's concern, was any of that story true at all? Yes. Uh, the scenes in the movie were all based on actual encounters. Um, and several of those had been covered thoroughly in the newspaper. The one, one, the kind of the climactic scene where the Ford family and is in that house and there's a long drawn out thing. That was all 
what happened. And, and I, I kind of go into detail in my Boggy Creek casebook more about that. Um, but, but all the other scenes were, I mean, many times it was real people um, that had either had the sighting or were reenacting it. Um, there's really only one that I never could quite verify, but, but everything in the movie is obviously it's, it's not, I wouldn't say sensationalized, but it's dramatized in a good scary way, but that's literally what happened. That's really cool to know. I, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I'm going to try and find it somewhere. Um, so can you describe the creature for people that, that, that have no idea what we're talking about? Right. Well, you know, it kind of falls into the Bigfoot category and people, you know, call it, it was originally, originally called the Falk monster um, in the newspapers. And then when the movie, the legend of Boggy Creek came out, it was called the Boggy Creek monster or like, you know, Boggy creature or whatever. Um, but essentially it's described as being uh, approximately seven feet tall, uh, walks upright on two legs covered in hair. Um, some people say it has longer hair on the head uh, you know, color can range from black to brownish to even red in color. Um, you know, very, very ape-like, but, but very much Bigfoot, um, Southern Bigfoot, if you will. And there, the movie played up that it has three toes the, because some of the original footprints appeared to have three toes. Um, but there's been others found with other numbers of toes. And this is kind of not uncommon in the South. There, there are places where uh, you find three-toed Bigfoot tracks. So it, it's really hard to say, you know, specifically if, if one or other of the creatures had three toes by design or if it was an anomaly. But uh, anyway, it's, it's essentially a, big, a Southern Bigfoot-like creature. Okay. Now, when we talk about Southern Bigfoot-like creature, is there a difference between the Southern Bigfoot and what we see out here in California and Oregon? Uh, you know, it's somewhat ubiquitous. I mean, they're, the descriptions from each witness almost vary enough to where it, it's hard without comparing some, you know, type specimens to say that, that they're any different. But in general, yes, they're just Bigfoot. Um, and I, I, I say Bigfoot-like creatures sometimes because they live in a more swampy environment here and it's a little atypical than what we envision as the, the traditional Bigfoot or the Patterson Gimlin film. And a lot of times those creatures are described as being bigger, maybe even up to nine or 10 feet tall. Although, you know, you'll get reports down here that are just the same. So I think you can just say that these are Bigfoot like creatures and we're not quite sure if there's multiple species or, or variations or whatever it's just uh one big giant hairy mystery sure well you'd think there would be though because the temperatures are different too i mean when you're living up in the pacific northwest the weather can get really nasty you know so you think there would be different coats on these things just like the animals that adapt to different areas yeah very true i mean bergman's law is a, a law of nature where um you know animals who live further north will be bigger, more furrier, you know, things like that. And that's, that makes more sense because you're in a different environment, a colder environment. Whereas down here, yes, many of the creatures are kind of described as being a little leaner and meaner and ornery and even associated with a, a smell. Um, and those creatures are often called skunk apes um, because of the odor. But 
um, yeah, certainly the, the environment could play a factor in, in a creature who is essentially the same but lives in two totally different environments. So when you go out and, and, and somebody reports one, what process do you go through to, to try and verify the story? Well, initially, I you know at least try to talk to the person by phone just to get a sense of of that person's credibility and and so forth. And if I think that um, it was a good enough sighting or worth following up, and that the witness is cre credible, um, especially in a place like this where it's close enough for me to drive there, I will usually arrange um, you know a visit in person uh, next time I can get up there um, and you know, uh, you know, obviously interview them, um, talk to them, and then if possible, take me to the location where the sighting was, which really helps to kind of give that perspective on, you know, is this a place where one of these creatures might may be found, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, when, when you've been out, you know, looking for these, what have you experienced? Have you experienced the, 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 the stick stuff or, or what have you experienced when you were out? Um, a variety of things. I mean, you, you do find strange stuff in the woods, um, you know, and these the stick structures and, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm kind of hung between whether I believe those. I mean, some of it is natural phenomenon and certainly some of it is hard to explain. Um, I've heard uh, howls, um, vocals that while I did not visually see the creature, the the vocalizations came from something that we can't identify it's not the usual you know cougars and foxes and bears and birds and whatever things that would normally live there there has been some very unique howls and i've heard that on more than one occasion um and in one case uh, myself and a fellow investigator were up there in this area near falk um it's called mercer bayou it's sort of a there's all sorts of water environments there and it's a very swampy area and we were paddling up around midnight just up up this uh, bayou channel and we heard this howl um it kind of intervals of three times and then kind of went silent and later on when we made it back to our camp which was kind of in the only place where there's kind of a hill where you could actually camp because there's a lot of alligators and stuff down there you can't camp you know really right on the water and uh no sooner had we gotten back there and you kind of make a noise when you're paddling or moving along and something which had the same vocals um began howling right across where we had just gotten the canoe out and i i, I just immediately grabbed a flashlight ran down that hill and tried to see what it was but within seconds that thing had run at least 50 yards and then howled again and then just took off um so i never never quite saw it but uh on one other occasion in that very same place i and this was during the afternoon around 3 p.m um back in uh 2021 mm -hmm. i saw something that was very reddish in color uh moving in the trees that was not um it was not a human. It was not anything I could identify. I want to say, when I say reddish, it was kind of a orangutan color. And that sounds kind of odd. And I'm not 100% sure I saw a creature, but it, we had just been in the town 
20 minutes before that in which uh, one of the locals had said he saw the creature and he said, when I saw it, it looked to me like the color of orangutan. And we've heard that a few times and you just say, yeah, well, that's, that's interesting. Take note, you know, well, no, 20, 30 minutes later, I saw something in the woods like that. So um, who knows? Um, but I've, I've never had, you know, a very up close and personal sighting uh, so far. Um, in, in your investigations in this, what has been one of the cases that, that, that sticks out in your mind? Well, um, yeah, there's definitely quite a few. Um, there's one that, you know, kind of speaking of Southern Sasquatch, but kind of spreading the area out. Um, there was an incident, several incidents back in uh, the 1990s in an area near Atlanta, Georgia, um, but further out into the countryside there where the Georgia woods are very thick. And uh, a couple had been reporting numerous incidents in which they said some kind of thing or creature has been prowling around and has been trying to get in our our feed and it's been beating on the side of the house and all this stuff and the police kept responding but by the time they could drive out there and drive down this dirt road whatever it was was always gone mm -hmm. well uh, on one occasion the the deputy sheriff just said well look i'm gonna come down there during the day and look around you know just see what I can see, try to figure out what's going on with these people because they kind of believed it may have been uh, moonshiners or whatever. And, and so he went down there and he, he kind of found a, some odd tracks and he followed them down into this creek called Elkins Creek. And when he was down there, he, he noticed these three huge tracks that kind of came out of the creek and one was a pretty good size and was right in the mud. And this is a deputy sheriff. This isn't a Bigfoot guy. This is a guy very skeptical. He sees that and he's like, what, what is this? And he said he immediately got, you know, quite scared. And he ended up casting that track and it's a huge track. It measures almost 18 inches uh, in total length. It looks like the creature slid a little bit, but it's a huge track. And by good fortune, the, the, uh, the story, he mentioned it to somebody who knew a Bigfooter who eventually this story came out. So I was able to talk to this guy and I've got a copy of the track and it's been looked at by other Bigfoot, uh, you know, experts, if you will, or enthusiasts. And um, I find the whole thing to be quite credible because you've got a deputy sheriff, you've got a track. It's not a hoax. I mean, the guy didn't just make this stuff up. Um, and a good example of people saying, well, there's nothing to Bigfoot. I'm like, well, you look at this track and you talk to this policeman and you tell me, you know, I don't think these old people weren't down there in the creek making tracks. So mm -hmm. it, those kind of things really stand out as the really sort of give you that concrete evidence that, uh, that we need for this. When you're out uh, tracking it or looking for it, what equipment do you guys take? What, what, what do you do? Well, I'm not a big gadget kind of guy. Um, and, and in some ways it's like, um, just to get a visual of one of these would be good. And of course, therefore you want to have a camera. So that that's really a uh, first thing. And, and recording equipment, um, though many times, you know, there's so much ambient noise in a, in the, in a swampy environment or even the woods, um, you're never going to get a very clear 
recording, but it, it's it's good to have that. Um, we have night vision equipment, binoculars, game cameras, those type of things that it, if we're out there, you know, we'll put up some game cameras during the day and then leave them out there uh, for however long we're there. Um, and of course, the night vision is great because oftentimes these creatures are reportedly seen at night. So if we, mm-hmm. we have if we had a sighting or we heard something, we could check it out with the with the uh, night vision thermals. Um, so, you know, kind of the usual stuff. And uh, and, you know, those are subject to battery fails and <laughs> other equipment problems. But such is life. So when you're out there, um, are you, are you out? Like you say, you have night vision cameras. So are you guys out wandering the woods at night? As they say. <laughs> well, yeah, we like to do that just because it's spooky and fun. But, uh, I, I, you know, you get as many reports of people seeing them during the day as night. So it's, 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 you're really just, in my opinion, it's just luck. So it's just putting yourself in those places where, for example, in the Boggy Creek area, where it's a place where people have had sightings many times over the years. And I, I know people, some very credible people who have very up close sightings. Well, the more I'm there, the more my chances are of seeing one. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, we do enjoy the, the beauty of, of this area and in any woods, I love going mountains and swamps and uh, wherever and, either canoeing or hiking and it's just great to be in the outdoors and it's a plus if you might see a creature how uh, many people live in, in the boggy creek area ones that have you know where, where the sightings are concentrated it's it's a pretty small town it, it, back when the movie was made in the 70s the population was around 500 it's around 900 now um you know with maybe another thousand or two living in the in the little wider area and Falk is located about only about 15 minutes from Texarkana which is a bigger just regular city Mm -hmm. Um, but but it's tucked into the Sulphur River bottoms uh, right there between the borders of Arkansas and Texas and very near Louisiana and right in that area it's very wooded Uh, you've got the Sulphur River uh, you got the Red River in the area Uh, like I said the Mercer Bayou and of course Boggy Creek is a very small creek that kind of runs up through there but it has the coolest name obviously but um, you know with all that and there's there's just a lot of bottomlands that cannot really be developed and haven't been developed so there's places that are just I mean you walk there now it looks the exact same as it did when they made the movie in the 70s Um, so and and in those places there's just not a lot of people the, the only time you're going to get sort of an influx would be during hunting season. There's a lot of good hunting down there. So, um, you know, hunters, but, but most of the time you could, you know, uh, you know, there's some aerial aerial photos in my book where you just look and it's like just masses of trees among the sulfur river. And you're like, wow, anything could be out it's there. Perfect. You know, It's perfect for it. So what do you think the attraction of, of, of the creature to, the the, the 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 townspeople is is it you know is it just chance encounters with with hunters or is it maybe that because they have livestock or they might have chickens or something like that yeah certainly um you know there there's quite a few sightings by hunters and that makes a lot of sense because they're they're in the woods um but just as much you know you have people who 
see it closer to town, even now, there's a few pretty close sightings that are pretty, cl pretty close to town um, because it's just kind of still nestled in a very thick, piney wood, hardwood bottomland forestry. And, you know, any large creature or predator, uh, you know, even a, a cougar or anything else is going to have to move a distance, you know, to find food and do what it does. So oftentimes it, it does get closer to town. And then what you see in the old movie, I mean, thinking back, of course, it was a very small town back then. And, you know, those houses were, even though they're in sort of Falk, they were still each one just pretty much in the woods. And that's when occasionally you would have these cases where they would say that the creature is creeping around their hen house or messing with their dog or um, in the case of that Ford family where the thing was actually trying to get in the house, apparently. Um, but again, these houses were kind of literally in, you know, the Bigfoot's territory. So right. if, if it was hungry or just an ornery individual, then it could surely, you know, try to get in your house. Now, now, talking about that, is, is that a uh, occurrence that happens a lot, or is it something that's just rare? Pretty rare. Um, you know, there, there's, I've gotten, you know, a handful of stories from folks up there that have, that have said that they believe the creature was trying to get in, um, and then other sporadic places, you know, there's a, there was a sort of an incident like that in Oklahoma, um, some years in around 2000 that was kind of a similar thing where they were just being assailed by bigfoot creatures as they identified them um and you know throughout well really just throughout anywhere in the u.s occasionally you'll have those sort of aggressive ones that you know try to get in the house or whatever but they're most it's pretty rare let's talk about footprints now because you talked about that earlier you know with, with, with the police officer what what size footprints have you seen on average? I would say most of them measure sometimes between twelve and sixteen inches in length. Um, with you know, if you get up into a fourteen inch, fifteen inch track, those are pretty good, pretty good looking tracks. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the small ones, of course. You know, there can, there's obviously going to be juveniles. If these creatures e exist, they must grow up from, you know, infancy. Um, you know, so you have to kind of rule out small ones. Is you know, could, are these human tracks? Um, because I've gotten out on the Sulphur River. We've canoed up there, and you get out some remote place, and you're like, there's human tracks, like people with no shoes on. So that does happen, and then you got to just make sure that you can rule those out by erosion or whatever so it doesn't just end up looking like a uh, you know a bigfoot track um so the bigger they are the better because you can say well that's certainly not a human uh -huh. uh, because of the just the sheer size and um but you know it's like i said with with any of this it's you know you don't find too many tracks especially too many tracks that are very clear i mean you can find things that might be a track or you could interpret it as a track, but finding a very clear, pristine track is super hard. And uh, some of the best area down there, we like to walk along those bottoms 
along some of the old some of the old roads because um, these dirt roads where once it gets kind of wet, I mean, it is just mud. And mm -hmm. so if anything walks by there, it's going to leave a track. It's just, it's just too wide for it to jump or whatever. Um, so we, we walk and there, I've seen some tracks that have even come out of the woods. It looked, I could see where a deer was running and then it was followed by these big sort of sliding footprints that looked like the deer had been chased literally right and jumped into the sulfur river. Um, but when something's running and when something's running through the mud, you know, the tracks just were, I was pretty sure it wasn't a human, but you know, they were distorted enough to where you couldn't hundred percent say they were Bigfoot. Now, when you get a call from somebody, did you generally talk to them on the phone first and then try to sort through the story? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, and, and most times now, you know, people will send a, you know, an email through the, through my website or even like on Facebook. So it usually starts out with a message and they may give you a summary of what, um, what they had seen or what they want to talk about. So you, you get that first. And then again, if you're like, okay, this, this person looks like legit, definitely I want to talk to them on the phone and then sort of progress from there. And because, you know, people, I'm sure you're the same. It's like they they have some impression that we, we're funded by millionaires and we can go anywhere, <laughs> anywhere at any time. We have a hotline, you know, um, there's a ghost, there's a Bigfoot. Uh, but, you know, obviously it takes time and money. So, you know, I really try to I follow up on the good ones that I believe are promising that lead to something rather than just, you know, you, you can't do every, you can't track everything down. So. Right, right, right. So do you keep a log of these sightings and everything? So you can, like, like, like you wrote this book. Is there a master log somewhere of sightings? Because I know there's one, like, you go online and find one, you know, where, where people will, will talk about sightings, and there's a big old bunch of logs in there. Uh, yeah, most most of mine, you know, I will, you know, if I interview the person or whatever, I have an audio, um, and... I will often write it up or take notes or whatever. And some of that is something that may appear in a later book, like my Texas Bigfoot book. Some of that stuff I'd collected for years um, and just sort of just filed away. Um, in the case, in the case of the Boggy Creek um, monster, since I've written a couple of books on that um, and I have a website, falcmonster.net, there is actually a sighting log on one of those pages that gives you a couple of sentences of just every one. And I try to keep that up to date. And that just has everything going back to early 1900s. And then in my case, Boggy Creek casebook, of course, it's got the longer version of the mm -hmm. story. So those are things that I, yeah, some of them, you know, I, I find in newspapers or I, um, interviewed the person and I'll just write them up and keep all that stuff. And so most of my stuff, other than the boggy Creek, is just something that'll, that usually makes its way into my books. And that's, that's when it's published, you know. Now, can you give me a rough estimate of how many sightings there have been up there? Uh, I would, there's hundreds, um, for sure. Um, there's nearly a hundred in my case book, and those are the ones where it had some something enough to to put in there because it, those are I don't just mention something we're in passing, but there's others beyond that. So, 
if you double that 200 and there's probably there could be hundreds of people never reported because I'm still I'll still find people who you know they were skeptical or haven't told anybody or whatever and I think as I've gone up there over and over and they've seen I've written books and I write them very seriously we're not making fun of people eventually some people will come forward and say well I never wanted to tell you my story so boom there's another one that just you never know so th so there's literally been hundreds do you think people are hesitant because they don't want to be deemed crazy yeah surely I mean and and I think now and I'm sure you 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 will share this opinion it's it's become a little more acceptable because in the last 10 years there's so many shows on TV where your neighbors are saying I saw a ghost your uh, everyday people saying I saw a Bigfoot or whatever um, and and that kind of lets people know that okay it's not just quote unquote crazy people um, but some years back you know where you didn't have those examples and people were less they were protective of, of what people thought of them on these subjects. Yeah, they're they're not so uh, you know willing to tell their story if they think people are going to make fun of them. So I, I think okay. it's a better environment now, certainly than it was. Um, but you still have people who could be embarrassed. You know, people think, "Oh, Bigfoot's silly," and oh, I don't want to say anything. People will laugh. So you never know. Tell me about the sightings in Texas. Well, there's there's been a long history of sightings uh, here in Texas. And, you know, Texas isn't probably the first thing you think of when you think of Bigfoot country, right. you know. And, and even as a kid, you know, the first stories I ever read were all from Pacific Northwest until the until legend of Boggy Creek. But, um, but uh, again, these are things that unless somebody had come along like, like John Green wrote a book, Sasquatch, the Apes Among Us, back in, came out in 76. He wrote about some of the Texas sightings, but, you know, just didn't hear about these things. Um, but, uh, you know, over the years being from Texas, you know, I've paid special attention to any time there was some newspaper articles that described old sightings or whether uh, witnesses that, you know, told me of a sighting or if my, a lot of my buddies who had been into Bigfoot, or researching and, and my friend Craig Woolheater, who started the Texas Bigfoot Research Center back in uh, like 1999, uh, had been collecting reports. So you started becoming aware that, wow, there's just a huge number of sightings. And, uh, and so I've just sort of, again, collected those kind of things over the years and uh, finally thought, well, I'm the Texas Bigfoot research guy. So I, I need to write this book because nobody had ever just sort of written a all encompassing book about the history of Bigfoot in Texas. Uh -huh. um, and, and I should add to that as well as most people think of Texas, like some sort of a ranch, like John Wayne or whatever, right, right, a right. cowboy movie. And certainly we have a lot, lot of area like that in the central and definitely to the Western portion of the state, but the, the whole Eastern third of the state is known as the piney woods and is a very heavily thicketed uh, pine forest. And it is full of, uh, you know, rivers and creeks and all the necessary ingredients that you would find in any other Bigfoot, um, you know, countryside. 
Um, so people would be surprised if you dropped them into that, just dropped them in blindfolded and they were like, and say, what state are you in? They would probably not guess Texas because um, it, it's not what usually people think of. But um, so there's definitely the environment and the habitat that could support these creatures. And certainly so many witnesses, credible witnesses that have claimed to see them that there's, there's just gotta be something to it. And what's the difference in, is there a difference in appearance between the one in Texas that they're seeing and the one in say Boggy Creek? Not much. They're very similar. Um, you'll get the kind of same variation in reports of, hair color. Occasionally people say they saw it running on all fours. Uh, sometimes it's five feet tall. Sometimes it's eight feet tall, just the usual gamut. Um, and, and certainly that area, like if you look at Boggy Creek and it, I mean, the same woods basically run down into East Texas. So, you know, even though it's, even though the creatures seen here, it's called the Boggy Creek monster. And if it's seen in uh, some part of Texas, you know, a Texas Bigfoot, essentially, they could very well be the same creature. And we're the ones, you know, putting them in a box, essentially. Uh -huh. so how popular is it up there? Um, you know, Texas is, is pretty populated, but it's, you know, it's concentrated into the big cities. And then there's, there's you know, huge tracks where there's just wooded areas and national forests. Um, and like any state, they're kind of become broken up and some of it developed, but um, there's, there's, you know, a population that lives in rural environments. And a lot of the time, these are the people that would report sightings like this. Um, I, I would say it's just dispersed like most any state, um, other than when you get out into the West, you certainly... You, you you know things cluster into cities because it's it's much drier and you know just don't have people living every spot so there's a lot of open area and there's even been bigfoot sightings in some some of the western portion of texas which are some of the weirdest ones you know <laughs> but uh there's you know there's sightings out there too well now that you've opened up that can of worms let's talk about some of those uh, yeah you know and, and that was even even i was surprised um, myself at some, the, the amount of sightings that had been reported in sort of what the central portion of Texas onto the West. Um, and there were in this kind of in the central location, there were reports and even a bunch of newspaper reports going back to the 1950s and sixties and seventies, um, in some of those small towns where, uh, you know, people were report, you know, big, hairy, Bigfoot looking thing. And, uh, you know, run south, everybody try to shoot it and all that kind of stuff. And then I guess it would just disappear. But, um, but out, out in, uh, El Paso, which is the city right in the, just that jutting point way out there on the Western portion of Texas. Um, there's a creature called the horizon city monster and horizon city is kind of a little suburb there. Um, and sightings date back to the, to the seventies, um, in which numerous witnesses saw this sort of what they called like a Neanderthal looking thing. And, uh, I even talked to witnesses myself who had sightings out there more recently. So I like those when they sort of connect, you know, you got these old reports and then something where I can actually find a witness that even has a, has a more modern sighting. Um, and that's a very unlikely place 
if you were to visit El Paso, uh-huh. uh, even up in the panhandle, you know, of Texas, there's there's a few really. I've got one in my Texas Bigfoot book of these three motorcycle riders uh, that had a sighting uh, that was investigated by some good friends of mine. Um, really, a, just a bizarre sighting, and two of those guys nearly hit that thing, and uh, and it was just ran right into the wide open. Uh, there's not much out there. There's not a lot of tree cover, but it was at night and it gets very dark on the sides of the road. I mean, your headlights and then all of a sudden this big, hairy Bigfoot runs out in front of your motorcycle. It, it's quite scary. And then it could just disappear off into the dark because it's mm-hmm. just wide open distant. So those are kind of odd places to see a Bigfoot. But again, you've got credible witnesses, so you can't you can't just dismiss it. You think it's a case where, I mean, even with Texas, where we're encroaching on their territory, just like it is with, with, with any area? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that could play a factor. I mean, just like any any wild creature, um, as you, you know, you put in a subdivision or develop some land, all of a sudden, well, where do the bobcats go? You know, mm-hmm. where do the coyotes go? All of a sudden the residents are like, oh, you know, there's bobcats around here. Yeah, because you, you're living on their land. Um, same for same for Bigfoot. I mean, while there could be a much smaller population, uh, the viable population for Bigfoot could be much smaller, granted. But still, I mean, we're moving and driving and putting roads and Home Depots and places and uh it's inevitable that you would probably uproot some of these. And I think, you know, as you do that, the more we do that, either you push them to extinction or you push them to become more visible because they don't have anywhere to roam and they're going to run across the street Mm -hmm. um, in in front of you because you're on their, you're in their land. Well, as you were saying, um, when you think of, when we think of Texas out here in California, we're thinking it's all flatland. Mm-hmm. It's all prairies and all that stuff, but it's not like that, is it? Like you say, like like further off, you know, you've got the, the mountains and stuff out there. But when you think, like you say, the, the weird sightings of, of Bigfoot being in these, in these flatter areas, you don't see that all the time. Right. And certainly those are more rare reports, you know, but I, I did, I was going to dedicate one chapter to literally the whole hat Western half of, of, uh, Texas, but I had to actually break it into two because there were more than I thought, but that that's two chapters. And then all the other chapters are pretty much concentrated into the East. So certainly by far uh, outweighs those other atypical, but, but certainly, and then you think about it, Texas is going to, as it goes East, it runs into Louisiana, which we know is the Bayou state. So Texas surprisingly enough, even has swamps. Um, There's a lake called Caddo Lake in the very eastern portion of Texas that that also flows over into Louisiana. And Caddo Lake has some of the best sightings I've ever investigated and some of the best witnesses. In fact, a guy who had seen one in 1969, a very credible sighting um, and, and something you know, older and kind of pre Bigfoot knowledge around here. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely uh, plenty of woods, plenty of waterways, swamps and, and other places where the creatures could 
you know, survive and thrive. Can you share that sighting with us? Yeah. Um, this is one of those that just kind of by luck you, you come across. Um, I am, am, was friends with a, a girl and she found out, oh yeah, you, you investigate Bigfoot. And I had posted a picture of Cattle Lake or something because I'd been out there. She said, oh, you know, my dad saw like some kind of Bigfoot thing there when he was younger. I was like, really? So so she put me in touch with her dad and I'd known this girl for a while and, uh, you know, great, great person. And then I talked to her dad and uh, he had a very compelling story, um, one enough to where I, I, I went out there um, and talked to him in person and eventually went to the location. But essentially the story was that back in 1969, uh, when he was a teenager, he would go out there and live at and stay at his grandmother's house near Caddo Lake for the summer, he and his brother. And as boys did back then, they would just take the weekend, they would just take a canoe and whatever and just disappear back into the woods and camp and fish and hunt. And he said they had built this sort of tree house um, back way back in there. It's, it's way back in the swamp. And they would sleep there overnight, overnight. And he said on this particular occasion, they had fished uh, that day and they had cleaned the fish and, you know, thrown the remains over there. And then they had a, they, they cooked the fish on the fire, ate the, ate the fish and um, all was good. Later on, they were uh, sleeping in that tree, wooden tree house and they heard something moving around out there. And, you know, you, you always have to look, it's just the way it is when you're out there. Yes. So he looks out through the, the wooden slat and he said in the moonlight, he could see what looked like a big hulking, hairy thing hunched over where they had thrown the scraps of the fish. And he was looking and he's kind of trying to nudge his brother, like, get up, get up. Well, I guess this thing hurt him or whatever. And he said it stood up and it was, you know, huge, taller than a man. It was very bulky, was hairy standing upright on two legs. And he said, um, you know, he was just heart beating, frozen and frightened um, looking at this thing. And the thing just kind of lurked about and, and made some noises and eventually just walked off into the woods. And uh, he said they didn't really sleep the rest of the night. They didn't dare get out of the the uh, treehouse until the till the daybreak. And when they did, they went out there and looked around and they found these huge man-like tracks. And now he didn't have, you know, he couldn't measure them or anything else, but he said they were huge. And he said, one thing I noticed was that the, the big toe was really big. He goes, I remember that. And I remember them being very big, five toes. And, uh, you know, he said they used a tree and some measurements to kind of estimate the height. And he said, he's pretty sure it was seven feet tall. And I said, well, that, that's pretty cool because, you know, this is before anybody had knowledge of Bigfoot around here in general. And certainly the, he didn't even know what Bigfoot was. He said at the time, he just didn't know what the heck it was. He just thought it was a big, hairy monster. Um, but the, the, the particular thing uh, it struck me as also credible as he said, uh, the big toe was very big. Well, I literally had other examples of Bigfoot tracks, some in that area where 
the big toe was bigger. So I thought, well, if somebody's making something up, they would they wouldn't throw in this detail that sort of matched some of the others that kind of corroborated what he was saying. Um, and again, this I, I got to know him. I know his family. I still know him and feel like he's a hundred percent credible witness. So th those are the stories where you're like, okay, yeah, this guy saw something out there on Cattle Lake at a time period when certainly there was less development and less people. Uh, very well, something could live in there, and and I'm confident he saw a Bigfoot. That is fascinating. And you know, with the even with California and Oregon and Washington, with the sightings, I mean this this means that you know to me in my mind that they they've been sighted for so long that there's families, there's literal families of these things existing. Right, and it, that only makes sense. I mean. You know, because a lot of people that ha have a cursory knowledge of Bigfoot will say, yeah, you know, Bigfoot sure gets around or Bigfoot must be old. It's like, well, no, if, you know, to explain all these sightings and, and more than a century of, of reports, yeah, there, there's got to be family units. There's existing viable populations of, of these creatures, which explains the variation in color and size and location and all the other stuff um, that goes with it. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's hard to estimate how many there are, but I, I think there's a lot less than people imagine, mm -hmm. uh, which is the only way to explain it. I mean, if they're not, if there was too many of them, they, they would be seen more and all that. But I mean, we live in a we live in an environment where we're hearing about these reports all the time, but that's because we pay attention and all that. But um, but these happen over a long period of time, over many years and many witnesses. Um, so I think they're they're small populations, but certainly they are populations. You know. Do you think that they'll ever be found? Well, you know, I I almost ever since I've been looking into this for, you know, so long as an adult, you, you almost think, okay, tomorrow, tomorrow's going to be the day. Cause I know whether it's some of my buddies or just the nature of it, somebody's going to hit one with a car or whatever. And, and there it is. Boom proof. And, but you know, the longer it goes, it's like, well, we still don't have that. I still have a lot of credible witnesses. I got footprints. So I don't, it's hard to say that it will be proven or not. Um, it's a fun pursuit and enjoyable, even if it's not proved, but it would be nice to kind of justify some things. If, uh, if we could, could prove that at least some of these anomalies are cert are, are definitively real. Mm -hmm. My question too, I have about is, uh, the vocalizations. Do they sound like conversations from these things to you? Like, you know, you, you've got these guys that are that are recording these vocalizations here in California. Does it sound anything like that to you, or is it just like, a, like an animal? Oh, uh, well, what I heard was howls, you know, animal-like howls. Um, but the, the chatter, as they call it, um, mm -hmm. where conversations, uh, like the Sierra sounds you're talking yeah. about, um, you know, I, I haven't heard anything like that, but those are more those are more rare to hear. Um, mm -hmm. But there are occasions where people report hearing what they think is more like conversation as opposed to 
the more common thing, which is just some weird, scary howl that, you know, we try to rule out sure. you know, wolves and coyotes and, and so forth. Um, that That's mostly what you get. Now, when you're out searching for, for them, do you feel like they're watching you search or do you, or do you just feel okay when you're out in the woods? Because I would think that maybe, you know, they, they would know because that's their territory. So they would know you're coming from a mile away. Right. And I think very much so. I mean, you, you know, I, I, it, it's hard to even get up close to some of these wild hogs because they can smell you, you know, a hundred yards away uh, if you're remotely downwind and they'll just, you just see them and they'll look up uh, or whatever. So animals, creatures, whatever, uh, live in the woods, they're certainly more perceptive and would be able to, yeah, smell our deodorants and our clothes and fabrics off and everything else a mile away, which I, which goes back to kind of like, it is kind of luck because we're not going to outsmart them. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think. And, and, you know, they can just simply blend into the environment because that's what they do. That's how they survive. Very hard to see people take pictures and say, well, it looks like a Bigfoot here. Well, hard to say because it could be because they can blend in or it might be a shadow. Mm -hmm. They're just one step ahead of us at all times. And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, because of all that, it, it's just, inherently difficult to go into their territory and expect to just see them, which I, I think, you know, you're just as likely to be driving or down the dirt road somewhere and see one just as you are to traipse into the woods, but it's fun now, to go well, in the woods. Now with all the technology out there that pe that they can use now, do you think there's ever going to be a time when they're actually going to get a picture of one or find one? You would think, I mean, I think, Technology's really been catching up in the last four or five years. Um, certainly the thermal Im imaging systems, um, the eDNA uh, type tests that they can do um, to environment to prove what biological life has, has come into contact. Those kind of things are edging close to where that could be the pivot point to prove, um, you know, Bigfoot and other things. Uh, but again, the affordability of that is another problem, you know, like the army could probably go in with equipment and surveil giant place, giant areas and tell you what's living there, whether it's some bears or Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that we do have this technology and we some have sometimes have access to it um, if somebody's willing to help. But in general, you know, that that stuff is not something you can you don't can't do at home or you, you can't afford the equipment. So um, it may be some, as the years go on, maybe this stuff becomes cheaper and, and yeah, that could definitely help in this investigation. Have you ever found any kind of hair samples or anything like that? Uh, I've never found any hair samples that I, that I couldn't identify or thought was a Bigfoot. Uh, I've seen some though. I've been given various, hair samples and I've seen some pretty bizarre things of that nature. Um, and some of those have been tested or attempted to be tested. Um, because again, that's the thing. If somebody gives me, here's a big thing of hair. Well, I don't know, you know, unless I know somebody that's going to test it or analyze it, you know, you've got to have a network of buddies who can be experts in their fields. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I, I've never really, most of the time I can identify it's like a, it's a deer or, a, or what have you. Um, when, when I found hair, hair is hard to find. Let's see, I got a question here. Oh, hang on. Oh, do you, uh, here's a question from Benjamin. Do you think Bigfoot uh, might be someone inter? Oh, might be some in might blah, might be some in interdimensional and able to evade technology and capture due to that. Right. Well, I mean that's a question and one that's kind of uh, you know one one thing that people have brought up more and more over the years. I think as we. Uh, the longer it goes without discovery or proof of these creatures, you know, more theories come forth. And I think it's become popular to say, well, maybe, just maybe, that there's other explanations that are interdimensional or, or they have supernatural powers or whatever uh, to evade us. I, I don't know that any more than, than the other explanation that they're just biological creatures that are experts at staying away from us. I don't know. Um, I don't have any proof either way. So I don't, I don't dismiss people who have, who have theories. Um, that's what we do is, is just uh, conjecture about this. I, you know, I, I, I just kind of operated under the sort of hunter aspect of the way I was raised and to go into the woods and look for things. Um, that's kind of what I do, but um, certainly the, it's a mystery that, we don't have all the answers to. Absolutely. What's next for you? Well, let's see. Uh, I've been uh, working on a podcast. Uh, finally, I've, I've, I've narrated quite a few movies for a film company called Small Town Monsters that's done documentaries on quite a few uh, cryptid subjects. And, uh, and as the narrator, I thought, well, people ask me about a podcast. So I do kind of a it's not like an interview podcast. It's it's a, more of a monologue type thing where I tell about creatures or cases, and uh, it's called Monstro Bizarro. So I've been working on that, and uh, that's been a new endeavor alongside, you know, writing books and fielding reports and and other things. So um, took a little bit of everything going on all the same. I've got uh, a lot of appearances this year. I, I speak and share information at a lot of the uh, conferences from Bigfoot conferences, cryptid conferences, and even paranormal conferences. So, uh, on my uh, on LyleBlackburn.com, you can see a list of where I'm at. So, people are in those areas; they can come down and hang out, and they can share their story with me in person. Absolutely. And well, okay, you just gave your website. I was going to say, how can people contact you? Right, uh, LyleBlackburn.com, and uh, you know, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and. Uh, you can uh, you can find my books. I've got my own web store there from my uh, website that you can get autographed copies of books. But you can also, of course, find them on Amazon. And uh, my my Monstro Bizarro podcast is on well everywhere popular podcasts can be found, I suppose, and uh, and all that. So if you've seen something cool or have a sighting you'd like to share with me, uh, just just uh, contact me through the website. And what do you think, last question, what do you think makes you stand out from other Bigfoot investigators? Well, I would say the hat. Because <laughs> people go, hey, man, I know you, you got the hat. Well, there's a buddy of mine named Ken Gerhard who lives in Texas. He also has a black cowboy hat. So a lot of times, you know, we're just one ubiquitous guy from Texas. But 
uh, you know, people know me from the hat, but I think, you know, but, but more seriously, you know, one thing that people comment um, to me or feedback I get from people is they like my balanced approach, um, the way I do the research, the way I'm equally skeptical as I am saying, look, there's something to this. I let the reader decide. Um, I investigate, say, the Boggy Creek case and I offer up all that I can, the most credible stuff and lay out the story. And we're both here to decide for ourselves as to what that is. I don't try to convince people to believe in this because I'm hoping that somebody who is on the fence will read my book and then they're going to go, oh, wow. Yeah, I never knew all this stuff. There is something to this phenomenon. So uh, people people like that and that I do hands on. You know, I go to the places, I interview the people um, and share these stories. Thank you so much, Lyle, for coming on tonight. It was really cool. Really, really cool. We'll talk about the boggy creature because, yep, I'm all about Bigfoot, boggy creature. You got, man, you know, I would love right. to get you on later on, you know, with another time to talk with you some more about this. I just want, it was just wonderful. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. You have a good evening, sir. All right. All right. Bye bye. Okay. That was pretty awesome. I mean, that, I learned a lot about that boggy creature. And like I said, I, I, I was really into it as a kid. I'm still into that stuff. Okay, tomorrow we're shifting gears a little bit. Our old friend Jared Murphy is going to be with us to talk about his not-aliens theory where he thinks that ancient man built the pyramids and places like that. And uh, you know, But that's remember, the, remember this, that it's going to be at 5 p.m. Pacific tomorrow is when we're going to be on. We're going on an hour and a half earlier with Jared. But, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking with our old friend Jared Murphy, catching up with him. And he even made a trip, a rafting trip up to Arizona in you know, the Grand Canyon to check out those caves where, the, where allegedly they had found the bones of the giants. So he might have an update about that as well. So we'll be seeing him tomorrow at 5, at 5 p.m. Pacific. Anyway, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. And yes, Jerry, both websites are down right now for maintenance. Uh, we're doing a lot of updates and a lot of changes on them. So that's they're going to be coming back up very, very soon. So the best way to find us really is either on Facebook or Instagram, and I am I am Ghosty Gal, all lowercase on Instagram. Uh, Facebook, we are California Haunts Radio. We are California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. We are also California Haunts Ghostly Events, or on my personal page, right? But again, if you like the show, be sure to hit that like button. Uh, you know, we're always looking for likes, and be sure to share it with everybody you know if you enjoyed the show. Also, if you're on Facebook and you haven't done so already. Please be sure to be sure be sure be sure to follow me, or follow uh, California Haunts Ghostly Events because we're always looking for followers. Same thing with YouTube. If you haven't subscribed already, please be sure to do so, and uh, do some likes on YouTube even. Okay. Anyway, I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. I really appreciate it, and I'm going to end. And I will see you guys tomorrow at 5 p.m. Pacific with Jared Murphy. See you later.